Good morning, Dharma friends. Can you hear me? No? Yes, no? Some yes, some no? How about now? Can you hear me? Is that better? So this morning in meditation instructions on the four foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana, Vipassana meditation, we're actually going to focus a little on the second foundation of mindfulness. The second foundation which is Mindfulness of feeling tone. Mindfulness of Vedana, feeling tone. And that is considered to be a universal characteristic of experience. Every moment or everything being known has a feeling tone associated with it. And the range of those feeling tones are classically thought of as pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant, which might also be said to be neutral. So let's just sit in our body right now. Feeling the body. Is there a sense of the Vedana associated with mindfulness of the body? Is there a pleasant sensation anywhere in the body? unpleasant sensation? Any unpleasant sensation anywhere in the body? And then neither pleasant nor unpleasant neutral sensation Maybe this is numbness or just no strong sensation in either direction. Vedana, feeling tone, the second foundation of mindfulness. This is a really important thing to understand in um, what the Buddha taught. It has a really big place in the path to freedom. 
So I crowdsourced this talk this morning. So I ask all of the fellow teachers and the staff, what do you have on Vedana? (laughs) And I got some really excellent advice about things to point to about Vedana. So one thing I would like to say about what is the relationship of an untrained mind, a mind that is just led about by all of the worldly winds, you know, the worldly winds of praise and blame and fame and disrepute and pleasure and pain and loss and gain. What is the untrained mind's response to the vicissitudes of life, which are inherent in life? They are a manifestation or one of the ways that dukkha shows up in our lives. What is the untrained mind reaction to the vicissitudes? Anishka brilliantly pointed out that the untrained mind will set an unconscious goal to line up this moment for the rest of your life to only experience pleasant sensation. And most decisions we make in our life are anticipation of getting pleasant sensation. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go get some ice cream. I'm going to have a a romantic fantasy. Lining up pleasant sensation. Thinking that somehow that is the goal of life. That is happiness. And the untrained mind will also line up for this moment till the end of life to avoid unpleasant sensation. Got to get a six-pack of beer, have it handy. Got to figure out how to not run into this person or that person or put myself into this situation or that situation. how to avoid physical pain, physical discomfort, how to avoid mental pain and mental discomfort. And then an untrained mind with neutral feeling What is the untrained mind response to neutral feeling? Make something happen. Make up a story. Get some entertainment. Many of us would rather, what is our response to even a little bit of boredom in our relationship? We would rather stir up some stuff just to have some excitement there than just be neutral in relationship. 
will make up problems just to crank up the heat, crank up the excitement, crank up the Vedana, So how does awareness of Vedana help us in our awakening? How does it help us towards greater freedom in our lives? Not with some idealized notion of being a fully enlightened being, but how does awareness of Vedana or feeling tone help us in this minute right now? Vance had the really brilliant observation that awareness of Vedana helps tamper down papancha. I love that. Many of you probably know that papancha is a Pali word for mental proliferation. It's our tendency to make up stories. to make up stories about people's intentions, about people's attitudes towards us, their thoughts about us, about our place in the world, our privilege, our victimhood. As solid, meaningful things, as things that exist in their own right, as solid and continuous. When we understand how Vedana impacts us, we tend to see the, the propensities, the mental, physical habit patterns associated with pleasant and un- unpleasant. Joanna had the brilliant observation that when you notice Vedana, when you notice feeling tone, it actually is a glimpse at anatta or selflessness. It's an aspect of the uncontrollability of our worldly experience. Do we say, I want this to be pleasant? Do we consciously say that? Do we consciously determine what our perceptions of life are? Or do those things arise because of causes and conditions, because of past events, without our willing it to happen or any control over it in this moment? Who is doing that? Who is making that happen? Who is feeling pleasant? Who is feeling unpleasant? Who is feeling neutral?
So that's the untrained mind. What about the trained mind? How do we work with Vedana in our training as a foundation for mindfulness, as a focus of our attention? One is to make that the focus of our awareness. It is the second foundation of mindfulness. It is the excellent instructions of the Buddha that this is an important thing to see. This characteristic of all experience. Is this pleasant? Is this very, very pleasant or mildly pleasant? Is this uncomfortable, slightly unpleasant? Is this excruciating? And everything in between. And not really uh, a lot of conceptual overlay about what it means. Just using mindfulness to collect the data about what Vedana feels like. How does this feel in the heart, in the mind? Is there some feeling of this in the body? What does it give rise to in the body and in the mind? What happens when we crave pleasant? What actions do we take to fulfill that desire? What actions do we take when we experience unpleasant and neutral? There is also two kinds of Vedana, two kinds of feeling tone. There is worldly feeling tone and unworldly feeling tone. Worldly feeling tone is our responses to conditioned things, worldly things. You know, our scheduling to figure out who's having the biggest 4th of July sales and where we're going to go. I'm just telling you about this mind-body process right now. (laughs) That thought comes up. And I say, ah, pleasure-seeking. And then you all know that at my house there's a huge bag of stuff. When the sangha comes over, it's like, here, take the stuff. (laughs) That's how satisfying that pursuit of worldly pleasure is. So worldly pleasure. And then there's unworldly, unworldly Vedana. And that's the experience actually of meditation. And not just, you know, meditation in all four postures. Meditation in the sitting posture. Meditation in the standing posture. In the walking posture and lying down. We can't have unworldly Vedana.
I'm sure many of you have experienced, um, you know, after in our meditation practice, uh, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, as we know, are the hindrances, the five hindrances to um, clarity. And after we have swam past the breakers of the hindrances, we get into the seven factors of awakening which have a pretty beautiful Vedana associated with them. You know, the um, Vedana of mindfulness. What is the Vedana of mindfulness? How does mindfulness feel? The Vedana of interest or investigation, of effort, of effortless effort, a momentum carrying us forward in the practice. That's not I, me, or mine doing it. It's just effort, efforting. It is the wholesome path factor of effort in gear. How does that feel? And then joy and rapture. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Compare that to worldly pleasure. Calm and tranquility. Concentration and equanimity. Totally different experiences of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So the untrained mind is led around by the nose by Vedana. And actually the Buddha taught that one, the place to break the chain, the place to break the chain of samsara is noticing contact and feeling tone. Contact of the six sense doors, contact with uh, a sense base, and then the feeling tone that arises, and without mindfulness, without awareness, craving arises. Craving leads to clinging, which leads to existence and birth and decay and death, and we're reborn into ignorance. But if we take this opportunity to break that chain of contact and then feeling tone and to see the habit patterns associated with pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, if we could really see those habit patterns and, and work with them, we open to our suffering. We open to the dukkha of life. We have wise attention. Wise attention combined with faith and wholesome conduct 
leads to gladness. Gladness leads to joy. Joy to tranquility. Tranquility to happiness. Happiness to concentration. (coughs) Concentration to knowledge and vision of reality, which leads to disenchantment, dispassion, which leads to equanimity, which leads to awakening. It's a lawful unfolding. It's a lawful unfolding. We don't do it. The path factors ripen and it happens. So, let's work with Vedana for a minute. Let's think about sound. What is a Vedana associated with sound? Squirming on our cushion. What's the Vedana associated with squirming next to you or in front of you or behind you? Or your own squirming, your own restlessness on the cushion, or adjustments for reducing negative Vedana. What's the Vedana of the birds outside? What is that condition in in us? Aversion, irritation, papancha. Clinging, craving. Or the pleasant sounds. What is that condition in us? Intention to go on a nature walk. Intention to drink in the beauty of this place. A little greed in the mind. Wanting. Hearing voices outside. 
Is that pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? What thoughts does it give rise to? What judgments? What intentions are we setting without even realizing it? We don't need to do anything about pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. We use our mindfulness to extract the data of how it feels, what our habit pattern response is to it. And with mindfulness, we have a choice. Do I want to water this seed or do I want to pull up this weed? Is this a harmless impulse, a neutral impulse, or is this one that will lead to suffering for myself or others?
Vedana is anicca. Feeling tone is always changing. Feeling tone is anatta. It's not personal. Feeling tone is dukkha. It leads to freedom, but it's not freedom. Any questions about feeling tone or other elements of the practice? What's the feeling tone associated with this stage of our retreat together, our time together? Some people might be really happy. Others feeling a sense of loss. Yes? Um, I have a question about where is the line between worldly and unworldly pleasant feeling tone? For example, um, this call to me is about as pleasant as it gets. Um, and I'm an artist and my parents are architects and so I believe that there had to have been some grasping and clinging and greed involved in choosing the floral color, the paint color, the, you know, it's like somebody really thought about how to make this as pleasant as possible. And so I guess I wonder about like, what is, what does the Dharma have to say about beauty? And like, why are Zen temples in Japan just like transcendently beautiful and pleasant? Mm. Um, 
Well, I don't know what it says about worldly or unworldly, but I do think that there's something to be said about what the intention is in creating that. I mean, what is the intention of wanting to have the most aesthetically pleasing hall for us all to come and practice in? I remember once um, a story about Deepama that just came to my mind about why people venerate the Buddha and, uh, and just venerate our time together. It's just to show how absolutely special it is. And that's a really wholesome intention, I think, is to bring people in and to make people comfortable and to want to be in the beauty in order for us to practice and train our minds towards awakening. To me, that's a very wholesome thing. And then about worldly or unworldly, I feel a vibe in this hall. There's a vibe here, an energetic field that I think is unworldly for sure. I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you feel a vibe at all or? I wasn't going to talk so much about a vibe, but just the idea around worldly and unworldly in terms of Edna um, and it not being inherent in the object. Because um, a Zen temple and its ascetics and its cleanness and its simplicity is very different than Tibetan, wild colors, lots of going on, you know. So it's also um, somewhat personal to watch Vedna, like something that might be pleasant at one point or to one person might be actually unpleasant to another or neutral. So um, that's where the impersonal or anatta aspects come in, is that it, it can be changing what is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, to one person, to another person, at one moment, at another moment. Um, and as far as the wholesome and unwholesome qualities, that also to me is, is changing because something that can feel wholesome at one point and settling um, could change. You know, like you're talking about the fundraising aspects around this, you know, around this hall could have had a lot of of greed and, and uh, clinging or craving in it, yet coming to sit in the hall can be very um, wholesomely pleasant. So, so I don't know, you know, important to watch the ever-changing, the anicca aspects of Vedana. Mm-hmm. I think another aspect of that um, intention, because Vedana is right before intention, right? I mean... There's an intention associated when Vedana arises that is mostly unconscious. And um, it's an excellent point of practice because, you know, we get led around by the nose unconsciously by pleasant and unpleasant. I mean, I have a a, uh, carton of ice cream in the freezer. You know, it's like, I want to go and have some pleasant. And, um, And I think that aspect of Intentions, what is the intention of an act, the intention of putting together this beautiful hall? You know, my teacher Joseph Goldstein says, there is wholesome and unwholesome intention in everything. 
that it's, you know, we, it's seldom that there's only one intention for an act that we do. And that just being aware of that, we can decide to act on our wholesome intention. To see that. Sure, please. Isn't the freedom part also comes from recognizing that there can be pleasant um, or unpleasant, and it can be just that, and then there's no craving and suffering associated with it. So even in the creation of beauty, it's possible to create beauty uh, as an artist or an architect without there necessarily being any uh, craving aspect. It could be uh, actually generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even something like fundraising, it could actually be like an act of generosity or providing yeah. opportunity for people to be generous in some way. Um, so it's, it's helpful to recognize, yeah, the the. Ex- existence of pleasant or even the creation of an object of beauty or um, something nice for someone um, doesn't have to have the craving add-on with it. And um, that craving add-on is purely in the mind, and that's the part where it can be uprooted temporarily or uh, you know, in the way this path leads uh, when the wisdom develops strongly enough, like actually completely uprooted as a habit of mind. So there's freedom in that. Um, and the world will still be pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, uh, like ongoing. Like even the Buddha experienced uh, those Vedana in the body, at least, uh, even though like the experience of craving was uprooted. Yeah, that's an excellent point, that there's a lot of pleasant Vedana associated with uh, the four Brahma-viharas are just really pleasant. And the ten paramis are really pleasant to really be with generosity where, you know, it's like giving to ourselves when there's not a lot of ego associated with giving. It's incredibly pleasant. And, uh, you know, that's where the source of our well-being can be. Absolutely. And there are some unpleasant sensations that are actually really wholesome and we should have them. Like Kiri and Otapa. Uh, fear of wrongdoing and shame of wrongdoing are kind of uncomfortable and can be unpleasant, but they're really wholesome, you know. Yes? Second arrow. Do you want to say something? Okay, so (laughs) how we understand that is... um, Oh, so the question is about is is it possible or is it even wise to aspire to zero suffering, no suffering? And and pain, zero pain. 
pain, I guess pain and suffering, yeah. There's probably a distinction there between pain and suffering, yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Buddha tells a story about if you're struck with one arrow, do you feel pain? And what happens when you're struck with the second arrow? And, you know, I think the... the um, the wisdom in that or the teaching of that, the lesson of that is that being born in human bodies, just being in existence, being born, is an element of the first era. We will experience suffering. There is old age sickness and death. And, and uh, you know, that's definitely, from what this experience understands, not a very pleasant thing. It's definitely an unpleasant Vedana. But what our mind does with that, what the untrained mind does with that, and what a trained mind, how we understand that the truth of that is a second arrow that we can give to ourselves, which we are, have uh, much more control over, whether we continue to just let the untrained mind inflict that second arrow of not wanting it to be there or thinking that um, you know, there's three um, delusions that create the second arrow. One is that for experience to be okay, it needs to be pleasant. That's one delusion. Another delusion is that um, that change is wrong or that things should be permanent or that change isn't happening and then the third is that this is happening to me or I should be able to control this and those erroneous deep-seated distortions or deluded mind ignorance avija ignorance is what causes the second arrow is not just surrendering to the way you know, the truth of our human bodies, our human existence, our relationships. And, um, you know, being tossed around by the vicissitudes. But, you know, I think the lesson is there can be huge amounts of freedom and huge amount of wellness in spite of those actually even dependent on those. Freedom is possible. Any others? <laughs> yes? The breaking of the chain. We love the breaking of the chain. The lawful unfolding. Is it? So the question was, can you say more about the breaking of the chain? Is that what you said? Love it, love it. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful. So uh, the question was, you know, what was that about the breaking of the chain? And, the, uh, and so they're feeling like their experience is that effort is just unfolding and they're watching the effort rather than there's someone in there efforting, right? Well, um, you know, 
just the lawful unfolding of freedom of liberation is an incredibly beautiful and deep teaching. And I think that there's retreats that are just on that, right? We could do a whole retreat just focusing on that. And, um, you know, what is happening here, you know, th- you know, we have a conceptual understanding that the Buddha taught about anatta, about not-self, but whether we see it or have an insight of it, it's true anyway. <laughs> so what is acting out there, what is acting is the eight path factors, it is sila samadhi panya, it is ethical conduct, our habit patterns towards ethical conduct, our habit patterns towards clarity and wisdom and seeing what's happening, clarity in the moment, and then the wisdom that that gives rise to. It's those eight path factors, eight path factors, and the, you know, thousand manifestations of greed, hatred, and delusion, and they're fighting it out. (laughs) Ajahn Chah has the story of that. The old Cherokee grandfather, you've heard the Cherokee grandfather story. You know, the Cherokee grandfather's telling his grandson, there's two wolves inside of me. One is mean and greed, hatred, and delusion, and is really ignorant and takes umbrage everywhere, thinks that, you know, the whole world is acting for my benefit or for my discomfort. And uh, there's another wolf that is generous and kind and loves and, you know, really forgives and the grandson says, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. And that's what we're doing here. We are pulling the roots of intentions that will uh, ripen into either wellness or pain for ourselves and others. And we are watering the seeds of intentions. Uh, we're watering seeds of um, you know, wholesome actions, wholesome uh, actions of body, speech, and mind, and pulling the seeds of the unwholesome ones. That's what this practice is. Purification and cultivation. And we want to, uh, that was uh, all the time that we have. Thank you for all of your questions. Thank you so much. Thanks for your practice. It's inspiring, isn't it? It's really inspiring. That waters the seeds of our own faith and our own confidence. So we're really doing this for each other. It's a very wholesome thing. So uh, we have an announcement. And um, do you want to give the announcement? Uh, Actually, two things. One, there are 10 o'clock interviews. So those of you who were not seen yesterday will be seen today by one of the three of us. And... It's posted up on the board. You've probably already seen it, but it's just a reminder. Um, and then I believe Vance is also doing some sign-ups later this afternoon. So if you find yourself in need, again, like really just sign up if there's something you really need to ask or talk about. And then the other thing is the schedule is just has one extra addition. The 445 sit, the managers are going to be making some announcements and talking about some things that everybody needs to be in attendance for. Uh, and then the rest of the evening is pretty much the same. The 8.20 sit, we'd also like everybody to be here, the 8.20 in the evening. Um, so, yeah, just be here all day. <laughs> just, just show up. <laughs>
And uh, for those of you that are walking, please, Vedna is a fantastic practice to walk with. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it, for me, that is actually the practice that I take into my walking um, and just really getting into the mind, the body, the all aspects of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and seeing how it just happens. Yeah, so have fun with that walking today. Yeah, and I just want to say one thing about walking is that it was a definitive shift in my practice when I decided that I was going to make walking meditation part of my practice. It was a really, it was a very impactful decision and intention that I had, just to tell you that. So thank you for your practice and... uh, See you at the next sit. We're having a practice leader for the next sit. Someone's already signed up, right? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.